everyone. Welcome to the Dear Family Courts podcast. My name is Lisa Welter and I am your host. Today is about envisioning justice in our environments and setting the pathway forward for us to achieve that as mediators. You know, we often think of justice in the courtroom, but when we think about the privatized setting, family mediation, civil mediation, is an interesting dynamic to consider like what does justice actually look like in those environments and what has been determined is this is really a party driven opportunity to define what justice will look like for them and so our environments as family mediators as civil mediators should be conducive to supporting that self-determination, exercising party-free will to get to their intended goal, whatever that might be. So mediation actually feels more like an art. When we think about mediation at its best, the purest form, mediators are trained to know and understand their neutral role and then cast vision of what justice is designed to feel like in this environment so that parties can determine the outcomes that make the most sense for them. That means that mediators develop an artistic skill of neutrality and they learn how to build safe, productive environments that point people in the right direction, but ultimately giving them responsibility for their process and un- and outcomes. There's a lot of empirical research that's been done around this particular idea. And when mediators are comfortable in their own skill and they offer empathy, authenticity, and room for conflicted individuals to take responsibility for their own outcomes and process, they're pretty successful. Those that are coming into this with legal professions or maybe other backgrounds You know, we want to set a precedence right now that transformative family mediation is going to heavily focus on your ability to be an effective and exceptional neutral because you worked really hard to develop a new muscle, this art of neutrality. So I want to take a little bit deeper dive on this conclusion within some empirical research that is in relation to the professional mediator role and this idea of empowerment and self-determination of parties. It's going to help us get to how we cast vision for our environments. You are a leader in your environment. Professional mediator roles, this is actually coming from a 2018 study. It's a six-item scale on a Rogerian relationship attitude. So how do mediators show up in their environment offering unconditional positive regard, authenticity, and empathy? Um, This was written by Rober, Mole, Brondiel, Busi and Bitar. I hope I'm saying those names right. I apologize if I'm not. But this study suggests that mediators should be spending all of their time enhancing on a quality process versus solely focusing on the terms of the discussion. Their results imply that the training of these professionals need to exceed prescriptive skills for drafting legally correct arrangements, such as divorce, and professionals should be learning how to discover and create knowledge in the response to their clients' needs. And in addition to that, 
professionals should structure the process in a way that aligns with the substantive norms of the people, which displays empathy for what will um, ultimately get decided on in the hours ahead. Maybe it'll take a number of days. But as a neutral, you'll be facilitating an avenue of justice called mediation in a private setting. And when we do this, we first have to envision what does justice mean to us and for our people, the clients that we're going to be serving. It should include the opportunity for people to self-determine, to exercise their ability to have free will in an environment to establish their outcomes. Therefore, when we look at Lady Justice, remember that picture of the woman who's holding the scales in one arm? She's blindfolded and she's holding a, a, a sword in the other hand. The scales of justice mean that the parties determine what they want. Lady Justice's blindfold means you are impartial as the neutral and you are empowering the right shifts so that the parties can emotionally begin to recognize each other and feel more confident in a constructive conversation rather than the de-escalation or the disempowerment that happens so frequently in conflict. And then last, Lady Justice's sword represents that power and authority is in the hands of the disputing parties. And when we think about power in privatized settings, we as the mediators have to have a conduit to balance power and distribute it within the parties so that one does not overpower the other or the powerful do not take on the weak. Um, so power gets distributed, process outcomes, all of that is placed in the hands of the, dis, uh, the disputing parties. When we envision justice in privatized settings, how are we as the family mediators or the civil medias, how are we going to protect parties from this idea of institu institutionalization? Or in other words, how are we going to protect them from our professional biases or our standard philosophical map or this overreach of law or the courtroom into the equation that is for the people to decide, not us. Wow. Uh, there's a lot here to unpack, isn't there? And uh, when I think about what does this actually look like, I have to go to a quote to get you kind of thinking about how do we actually envision justice to protect individuals from this institutionalization that's been happening so that they get to exercise free will or the self-determination. Uh, Folger and Bush and Della Noche, I think I'm saying her name, name right, they wrote the book on transformative mediation, which is a source book for conflict interventions. It was written, I think, in 2008, I believe. I could be wrong. And I'm quoting what they say. Envisioning the protection of families from institutionalization within private setting means this. Once People have entered, once institutionalization has entered into the private domains, and given the lack of both procedural and substantive rules, mediation enlarges at the discretion and the power of state sponsored decision makers. And when we, they're saying state sponsored, they're thinking in terms of law and statutes. 
and it can magnify power imbalances and open the door for coercion and manipulation by the stronger party. Meanwhile, the posture of neutrality can excuse the mediator from preventing that. Sadly, mediation has helped the strong, quote-unquote, divide and conquer in private settings. That doesn't feel good. As a mediator myself, as a trainer, how can we think about our environments that we're crafting to protect families? We've got all kinds of episodes with techniques, right? But today I want to talk about you as the mediator, you are the leader. You must know what direction you are headed in and why you're heading in that direction. And so I'm going to give you three questions to think about. What does justice mean to you? How does it align with this idea of parties self-determining what they want or having the ability to exercise free will? What does it look like? What does that mean to you? Write it out. That will become really your vision of what your mediation environment starts to adopt and transform into. We talked last week about how to create a non-sterile environment. That should align with your vision of justice. It should be warm and embracive of what people are looking for to make their own decisions. How can you disrupt that fight, flight, or fight response that they're coming in with thinking they have to armor up with their lawyers to come into a battle Rather, you can create safety for them to dialogue in meaningful ways rather than it feeling combative or adversarial. So what does justice mean to you? What values then will help you accomplish this justice, this picture of justice, this vision of justice? What are three to four values? What words are important to you? that you can relay to the disputing parties as they show up in your environment. You as the mediator have an opportunity to set the tone for a non-adversarial approach to honor the self-determination of other people. So frequently when we think about highly anxious families, they just don't, they're stuck. They don't have the ability necessarily to articulate that right away, but they will. And so when you think about what values will help you accomplish justice, I'm going to give you the three that Jen and I use in our training. As we equip student mediators, we invite them. I'm literally walking them by Zoom through my front door of my house. I know, you might think it's weird, but that's what I do. I want them to see my humanness. I want them to feel comfortable in the environment I'm creating because I want them to feel like they can move about with the content in a very comfortable way, that there really isn't going to be any judgment. I'm literally inviting them into my home. And so there's a picture of my front door. (laughs) And uh, that might sound weird, but it's intentional to disarm people, to drop their guard, and to come into a space with lawyers and social workers. We're all learning together how to be fully neutral in this new way. And it takes me as the trainer to lead the way and Jen too. So we lead the way. We walk people into my back porch and on the fireplace mantle are three words 
that stand out as everyone enters into this space. Yes, we're on Zoom. This is all in a picture. And I'm happy to share that. If you want to reach out to me and you want to see what this looks like, I'm happy to email that to you. But under that, alongside the fire mantle, fireplace mantle are three words. And these are the words that Jen and I live by. It's respect, responsibility, and relationship. And everything we do filters through these three words. And everything our students are included in, we have a commitment to them that we will respect them. We will honor um, the relationships that take place and where they're at. They get to show up just as they are. But we do expect that everyone takes responsibility for themselves and they show up and they're engaged with the group. And, uh, and even when it comes to like, hey, somebody's got to go pick up a kid, right? And there's respect for one another in that environment and people are taking responsibility. So when we think about justice, as we're training mediators, the three values that we bring into our environment are respect, responsibility, and relationship. How we speak to people, everything we do is done in relationship. We just believe that when people can build relationships a lot, we're going to get a lot more done. We're going to go further faster. And the vision of what we're going to, where we're going, we're, we're just going to move at a pace where we're, there's less hurdles because we've slowed down at the beginning to talk about the things that matter to us. And we set the tone for how training takes place. Now, if I were conducting mediation in a church environment, because that's where I've done most of mine, I would be bringing these three same values and I would be placing them on the table. They'd be literally on the table so people could see them. And as I start mediation, I would walk people through this. So they sit down, they got their cup of coffee, they've got their brownie, whatever. The, maybe the music gets turned off or it's turned way down. I would walk through these three values and say, here's what I want for you. This is why I do what I do. I never disclose my primary profession. I don't tell people I'm a pastor. I just say I'm here today to support you. And here's my role is to safeguard your ability to exercise your free will. And the way in which we're going to get there is to first honor these values. I expect everyone to be respectful to one another. And I explain what that means. Talk about relationships, that there's relationships between them that they are probably worried about and they're trying to build legacy. And so we have to be attentive to those relationships and honor where each person is at and what relationships matter to them. And then responsibility. We each have to take responsibility for ourselves, how we're showing up. And we have to take responsibility for getting feedback that maybe not doesn't feel good, but we can absorb it and think about it and reflect on that without reacting in a way that is disrespectful. So what values will help you accomplish justice for your environment? And then if you could remove any barrier, where would you host your mediation and describe its settings? So again, go back to what we talked about last week. If you haven't listened to it, I totally recommend it. How can you start to build an ethos in your mediation environment that mimics or helps you achieve that goal of justice? Remember, you're the leader. You must know where you're headed and why. And that doesn't mean that you project your wishes on them, but you can unpack 
what your role looks like and how you're helping them move towards their um, their intentions for their future by setting the tone. And then even if me or if uh, lawyers are involved in this, this is helpful for them. What I have found when I conduct mediation, people can actually see these values sitting on a table. They will oftentimes speak about like, it's a good thing I can see that word respect because I've felt myself becoming disrespectful. They'll call it out in themselves because it's literally visually in- available to them. And so please, 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 whatever environment you create, have these values somewhere in the room that you can point to, that you can hold everyone accountable to and yourself because you will f- find that even as a family mediator or a civil mediator, you'll go, you're going to make mistakes, but you can you can even hold yourself accountable to your own values and go, ah, I messed up. It's a great way to just be human. So that's really what we've got for you today. You as the family mediator, the civil mediator, you must know what direction you are going in. You have to understand what justice means to you. It cannot be a willy-nilly flippant idea, uh, especially when you're working with entrenched, chronically anxious patterns of people systems. You've got to kind of help reset the tone so that people know what direction we're going in. And then you hand it off to them so that they can include whoever they want and design the process that best fits for them. And it's okay to set the tone of where we're going as a group so that you don't get an adversarial approach or someone taking on a role that is, becomes more powerful than another in that space. And then finally, we use a talking piece. In my training, we train from a restorative lens. And so we use a talking piece to facilitate the conversation, meaning whoever has the talking piece gets to speak. Whoever doesn't is listening, period. End of story. <laughs> That's just how it goes. We do that and facilitate it in a circular ma- manner. So really the circle process. Um, But we'll talk more about that in another segment. I really wanted to leave you with designing and determining what does justice look like for you and what are those values that are going to help you achieve or accomplish what justice looks like. And then you put all those pieces together, make sure it's visual somewhere in the room that you're calling out at the beginning of mediation. You can always go back to it when things feel like they're derailing. Or if an attorney maybe is speaking out a turn or another individual, can always call them back to what the intent of the environment is intending to do, to safeguard party self-determination or the ability to exercise free will without coercion. So friends, I hope this was helpful to you. Stay tuned for next week as we continue this conversation. Be well.